good morning, Skillman Church of Christ. How are we doing today? It is good to see all your smiling faces here on uh, this November Sunday. Is it the last November, last Sunday, November? It's next week, December? No, there's one more. There's one more. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just so excited about Christmas. Just so excited. I do want to say, though, uh, as uh, I was walking in, you know, we have Officer Marcus, who uh, is our officer on premise. And uh, he came to me, I said, I said, hey, officer, how you doing? He said, you know what? This church is exceptionally happy today. <laughs> it must be the weather, but it is so happy. It's a, it's a joy to have you here. If you are a guest visiting, welcome to the Skillman Church of Christ. We are a group of believers that loves Jesus, that strives to follow the teachings of Jesus each and every week and, and all, all the days of our life. So uh, the passage today, well, I got some bad news. Uh, the bad news is today is the last day of our sermon series on the 10 words. We've been, for the last 10 weeks, been taking a word a week and really going deep down into what this word means. And so this is the last Sunday. I know some of you are sad about that. But the good news is this, that we're going to end this sermon series with a bang. Because we're going to have our communion. Uh, we started the series like this, where we have communion up front. And we're going to end the series like this, where it's a... A representation of who we are as a community, uh, that we're together, and that despite our differences, we have a common love for Jesus. So the text today, if you have, oh, the children, I guess, <laughs> I guess they didn't get the memo about that. All right, let me pause this sermon uh, to dismiss the children to Children's Church. Thank you, Cheryl, for letting me know. <laughs> yeah. So if you are two years old to second grade, you are invited to spend some time with Miss Shalene. We love you. God loves you. Can't wait to hear what you learn. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, whoever stopped the sermon. I could tell some, you know, some panicked parents. Uh, what do I do? What do I do? If you have your Bibles today, please turn to the book of Romans. The 12th chapter. And if you don't have your Bible, we have Bibles in front of the pew that you can have, you can bring home if you would like. And this particular text, Romans chapter 12, is on page 1,763. That's page 1,763. And as you guys are turning to this particular chapter in the book of Romans, I'd like to give a little background of what's happening in this text. The book of Romans is believed to have been written by the Apostle Paul to the city of Rome, to the church that was meeting there in Rome. And as the story goes, in this particular church, there was a problem. There was a situation that needed to be dealt with. You had two distinct groups of people trying to meet together in Christian unity. You had the Jewish Christians who were the very first ones to, to hear and obey the gospel. And then, because of a law by the Roman Empire, the, the Roman government, they were cast out of the city of Rome for many years. While they were away, the Gentile Christians, the new, con the new converts, began to take over the church. And then, when the law was, was uh, allowed, the, the Jews were allowed to return back to Rome, there was a situation. We had two different groups of people. You had the Jewish Christians, who used to be in charge, who have their heritage that dates all the way back to Abraham. 
You also have the, the Gentile Christians who were new in the faith and who had a different background, and they were together. And of course, you can only imagine there were some clashes. I mean, this is pretty two distinct groups meeting together. I mean, this isn't Texas A&M and University of Texas, you know. This isn't, you know, Cowboys and Redskins. You know, this is, this is deep differences that go back generations meeting together. So Paul writes this letter to the city of Rome, and he begins word after word to craft an incredible letter. This is an amazing letter that Paul wrote, inspired by God, that would bring these two groups together in Christian unity. And so in the first 11 chapters, he begins to lay out the theological framework of what this is. He starts up here in the clouds. He starts with theology. He begins talking about how all of us are in need of a Savior. All of us have brokenness. All of us have sin. That none of us can claim that we have the answer. And so it's not our morality. It's not our heritage. All of us need a Savior. And he goes to talk about how Jesus is our Savior. We're justified by faith. He talks about how we need to live by the Spirit. He's talking theology, theology, and theology up in the clouds. We finally get to the Romans chapter 12. And this is when Paul puts the rubber, meets, where the rubber meets the road. He says, you know, I've been talking all this theology. Now, let's talk about how this is going to impact how you live, how you treat others, how you walk and how, how you work and everything, how it impacts your whole life. And so finally, we get to Romans chapter 12. And if we can turn uh, to page 1760, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It starts with the word, therefore, which means because of all this, because of Romans chapter 1 through 11, all this theology, all this talk about justification and living by the Spirit, because of all this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, proper worship. You see, this talk of theology actually has impact into our life. We are to be living sacrifices to God. In verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In verses 3 through 8, God talks about, what Paul talks about remaining humble and about how we are many parts to one body. But let's skip down to verse 9, which is on page 1764. And this is where he really begins to talk about how this impacts, how this theology impacts our day-to-day -day life. In verse 9 it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And the last two words, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. That's the word that we're going to focus on today for our last word on the sermon series of the ten words. It's this word, hospitality. Hospitality is, is this word, it's actually in Greek. This word is philo, philozenea. Can you guys say that? Philozenea. 
It's right up there, I believe. Philozenea, this is the word that's used in this particular text. It's translated as hospitality. And this word, philozenea, it's used a, a handful of times in the New Testament. But each time it's used, it is very, very important. It's used here in Romans chapter 12, talking about how we should live. In the two passages that talk about church leadership, it talks, has this particular word is used, philozenia. In fact, let's turn there. We're going to do a lot of turning the Bible today, so get your fingers ready, get, get them warmed up, because we're going to, uh, do, or your iPhone, uh, you know, get it, because we're going to go back and forth in the Bible. So turn right now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it's on page 1847. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read starting in verse 2. And every time I pause, if you guys could read out loud what the word is in your Bible. Because some of your Bible, it, it might be a little bit different, but we'll see. Now, in verse 2, now the overseer is to be above reproach. This is talking about church leadership. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, philozenea, able to teach, Titus chapter 1, 6 through 8. Let's turn to Titus, everybody. Let's everybody go to Titus. And if you have the Bible in front of your pew, it's on page 1857. This is another passage that talks specifically about the leadership of the church and the qualities and the characteristics that need to be there within this, this particular leader. So after a list of qualities, Paul writes in verse 8, Rather, an elder must be hospitable, philozenea, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And you know, in philozenea, this particular word, it's also used outside of the Pauline corpus. Let's do it one more time, I promise you. Let's turn to 1 Peter, everybody. 1 Peter. It's on page 1,891. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. Man, it's great to hear all these pages turn. And this is talking also a Peter, Peter at the very end of his letter, giving a, a final exhortation to the people. In verse 8 it says, above all, anytime you see above all, that's a very important word to re words to read. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You see, Peter here, he says that we need to offer philozenea, to, a, to one another without grumbling. Above all, offer philozenea to each other without grumbling. Earlier, Paul says that philozenea is one of the qualities of those that are a part of the church leadership. And then earlier, we read that Paul thinks in Romans, this is something to be practiced in Romans chapter 12, that we are to practice this philozenea. Obviously, this is so important. This word, although used a very few times, has a powerful, powerful place in who we are as Christians. It's very important, and this is where it gets interesting. Because, you see, in English, this word is translated into hospitality. It's in all your versions. This, is, this hospitality, philozenea, is translated in English as hospitality. But any of you guys know that sometimes when there's one language to another, there can be things that are lost in translation. And this word is so fascinating. It goes so deep. But here and now in our culture, in 2019, when we hear the word hospitality, hospitality, what do you think of? What are things that you think of 
when you hear the word philo, uh, sorry, hospitality. Dinner. Dinner. That's good. <laughs> I think about Martha Stewart, <laughs> you, know, you know, the queen of hospitality. I think about my grandmother, uh, Mert Davidson, how uh, when I went to Texas A&M for school, uh, it just so happened, luckily, that she lived in College Station, too. And luckily, by the grace of God, she loved to cook. And so whenever I would be in a break from class, I would go over and call her up and say, hey, Gre- hey Mimi, can I come over? And I'd go to her house, and there was a warm fire in the fireplace, and she'd have this maroon Lazy Boy open for me that was already warm. And I'd sit down, and this is, <laughs> I'd sit down, and she would have this, uh, this sandwich already made for me. <laughs> prepared. I mean, I feel a little bit spoiled telling this to you. I'm being vulnerable right now, but she spoiled me. Uh, But in some ways, she was making her home a hospitable place uh, for me. This is is kind of what I think about when I think of hospitality. Is anybody with me on this? But man, this is why a study like this is so rich. Because if we are to go down to the very depths of what this word means, we can see that there is a deeper meaning to what philozenea actually means. This, this, is, this is a really deep, deep comfort. If you look at this, the, this word, philozenea, it is two words that are put together. The first word is philo, or phileo, which everyone knows what that means. What does it mean? Love. All right, now here's where it gets crazy. The second word, zenea, is based upon the, the root word, xenos. Which, what does that mean? How'd you guys know? <laughs> it's in the back. It means foreigner, stranger, guest, the other. So essentially, what this means, phileo is to love, xenos is foreigner, stranger. This means that we, what this word means, is that we are to love the stranger, love the foreigner, love the, the one, the other, that is what this word means. In, in the ancient Near East, this word began, it became known for hospitality, housing those that were outside of your tribe or village. It became synonymous with housing someone, bringing someone into your home because this was before the Marriott and Airbnb. But the very core of this word, the very essence of it, is talking about the call, the directive that we are to practice as Christians to love the stranger, love the xenos, love the foreigner, love the other, someone who's different than you. And we know this word, xenos, because it's in our vocabulary. There's a word in our vocabulary that has the same root word. It's called xenophobia. Have you guys heard that word? Here's a definition of xenophobia. Xenophobia is fear and hatred of strangers or foreigners or anything that is strange or foreign. This is, this is on the list of all the bad things, like racism and discrimination. Xenophobia is one of the things that we try to avoid. And this is the, the fear of the other, the fear of the other. But what does God call us to do? What does Scripture call us to do? We are to phileo the xenos. We are to, to, to love. It, puts, it takes xenophobia and it flips it, flips it on its head. This, we're to do this without grumbling. You see, the word hospitality, it can mislead us because this isn't a passage. This word isn't a passage about what flower arrangements we need to put when we have people to our house or what, 
what kind of, how he put the silverware, being the person that puts the silverware in the right spot where the plates are, that has nothing to do with, that's entertaining. But this word, hospitality, this goes deep. It's about radical hospitality, about being love to something that is foreign, to something that is strange, to something that is out of our comfort zone. We are to be a community that embraces and loves and seeks out and cares for and listens to people that are different than us. The foreigner, the stranger, the other. This is what philozenea means. And we are to be it. We embrace diversity. We don't shun diversity. We don't run away from those that are different. In fact, we welcome those that are different into our homes We feed them, we clothe them, we listen to them, we learn from them. This is the Christian way. Philozenea totally flips xenophobia on its head. And this is our call, our mission as Christians. You know, there's so many angles that I could go with this sermon because this is such a rich topic. There's so many areas of diversity where we need to improve and where there's areas of growth. But there's one area that I'd like to talk about today. Just it's a bit on my heart about this particular word, and it has to do with theological diversity. You know, we have ethnic diversity, uh, we have uh, generational diversity, but what do we do with theological diversity? When here in a church there's someone who may believe differently than you do about a certain topic or a different interpretation of Scripture. You see, for the last 500 years, really since the invention of the printing press and Martin Luther and Reformation, what has happened in the Christian faith is that if you're a part of a body and you read the scriptures and there's two people that disagree on what this passage means, here's what happens. One person leaves or one person is kicked out and then they start their own church and they do their own thing and they put a new name on the building that, that makes, it, makes it so they can do what they want to do. And so in an, in an effort to be, we have surrounded ourselves with people who are exactly like us, who, who, who think like us. And this is why there are so many churches that, that are out there. In fact, I did this uh, Google search, how many Protestant churches are there? And this is what Google says. This is so bizarre. Estimates very, estimates vary considerably from 400 million up to more than a billion. <laughs> That's a pretty—isn't that a crazy uh, range there? <laughs> it's like there's only seven billion people in the world. This idea that in the face of differences for so long in Christianity, for so long in our Christian faith, what we have chosen to do is we've chosen to, to run away. We've chosen to go our different path. We've chosen to separate instead of engaging in our differences— We've chosen really to be a a people that are xenophobic, afraid of these things, instead of pursuing phileo xenos, being with someone who's different and loving that person. This is, uh, this is, you know, it's it's crazy that this is the, the thing that we've been going through the past 500 years, and we right now, we have the chance to shift the trend. I mean, if you guys been down Ferguson Avenue, there's eight different churches in a row. With, they share a fence. The, eight churches on, on the path. You just, you just drive down, there's a church after church after church after church, and they share the, the same fence. It's crazy what we have done in this, uh, in this attempt to be around people 
who are theologically, well, to be afraid of people who theologically think differently than us in the realm of church. But what if, Skillman, what if we were to fully embrace this idea of philozenea? What if we were to embrace our differences? In Skillman right now, there is some rich theological diversity. What if instead of seeing that as a bad thing, what if we were to see it as a good thing where we learn from each other, where we, we grow together? The biblical thing to do in the face of diversity is when someone has a different view or opinion, uh, an idea that's strange or foreign, we don't run away, but we lean in closer. It's like what Abraham Lincoln said at one time. Abraham Lincoln said this quote that, you know, I don't like that man. I don't, I don't really like what he's thinking. So this is what I'm going to do. I need, I need to get to know him better. <laughs> I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. So why is this important, this idea of embracing our differences and using that as a tool? Why is it important? Why did Paul write about this? Why is it in the Bible, this, this term, philo-zenea, why is it there? Well, three things. Number one, spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. If we always surround ourselves with people who always think exactly like us, who are telling us that we're right all the time, where is the chance to grow? Where is the chance to be challenged? Where is the chance to allow, to, to force yourself to rethink how you think what you think? I, you know, I'm, I have this friend who's getting her PhD at Pepperdine, and her dissertation is on this topic called transformational leadership. Transformational learning, actually, transformational learning. And in this transformational learning, this idea is that there is types of learning that can transform an individual. But as she was doing her research, there's a common uh, stage in transformational learning that happens to everybody. It's what's called a disorienting dilemma. Anytime you're faced with a disorienting dilemma, that forces you to rethink where you are and to rethink your position. And it allows you to either stand more firm in how you believe or adjust your view to a bit more healthy standard. And so if we are to embrace this theological diversity, then we surround ourselves with people that challenge us. It allows us to have these disorienting dilemmas. It allows us to grow. allows us to, to, to uh, be challenged and rethink and shape and, and improve our standard. Another point is this. Why? Where else is this a safe place? Where else in the world are you allowed to have theological conversations in a safe environment? I was talking with Kavian about this. We talk all the time about how not to hate. We talk about it in church, how we need, we need to talk about how we need to love our neighbors. We need to love those that are different from us. But where do we have a chance to practice it? Where do we practice this? The church, this is where we practice. This is where we take people who have a different opinion on a, a topic, and they don't shun each other, but they embrace each other. They talk in a respectful way. This is where it happens. And if it's not here at the church, where else in society brings together people like this but the church? You know the civil rights movement? You know how you see those photos of the people that were there in the restaurant when they were pouring food on their heads? Anybody see those photos? Well, we don't, uh, not many people know this, but these uh, people that were on that restaurant, they did extreme practice beforehand. It wasn't they just showed up at that restaurant 
and they were able to keep their composure and live out Christ. But there was, there was practice beforehand where they modeled that happening, and they practiced, and they practiced. They practiced among themselves so that when they were in the world, they were able to respond in the way that they did. So that is why also this is a spot where we need to be safe to talk about these theological ideas and not be afraid of those that might be different, but to engage in that conversation. Finally, it's because Jesus himself, Jesus modeled for us Philozenea. He modeled it. He talked to, the, to those that were considered sinners on the outside, but he also talked to, to religious leaders. He embraced everybody, engaged with everybody. He was the epitome of Philozenea, always welcoming, always engaging everybody, even those that were so di distinct from him theologically, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he was there talking and engaging with them. He loved the conversation. Quick story about this before we enter in this, into this communion. This is what I hope and dream uh, for this church. And I think that this is a great word that we can live into as a church where we practice philo Zenea. Where we see differences, where we see, where we see differences of opinion, differences of interpretation as a blessing and as a challenge to learn from each other and not to be shunned. There was a sermon that I preached not too long ago that really, um, I was pushing the boundary a little bit, looking at the three servants. I don't know if you remember that sermon. And then the, there was, the th I, I interpreted the, the parable as the third servant kind of being the hero of the story. It was, it was kind of a twist at the end. It was an untraditional um, interpretation of this particular passage. So after it was a senior lunch, and I, I talked to, uh, to Billy Fay after uh, that sermon. I said, hey, Billy Fay, what do you think about my, uh, my sermon in there, about this idea of the third servant being the hero? And uh, Billy Fay, she said, I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. But then she leaned in a little closer, looked in my eyes. But I like you. This is what it could be, this idea of philozenea. We may not like everything what people think, but we like them. And this is what this communion is all about. We are here on a Sunday morning because we all are seeking to follow Christ. We're here today because we want to live in to the scriptures as best as we can do. That's why we're here. We could be out at, at at the lake running, but we have chosen to be here. We are together as a community. This, at this point moving forward, we can embrace our differences. This can be a safe place where we discuss, where we bounce ideas of each other, where we grow and we learn. We have conservative, we have more progressive, we have those who, who voted for a, a Republican, those who voted for Democrat, but we are united in the kingdom of Christ. And this is the symbol of that, that we take together the blood we take together the body of Christ as a symbol that despite these differences, we are not going to resort to the fear of the other. We are not going to run away from those that are different, who think different. But in the case where we are with someone who might think or view, see something differently, we don't run away. We approach. We, we seek. We invite in. We begin to talk in love. This is the way of Jesus. This is what we are called to practice. We, at this time, uh, are going to take communion together. I will uh, say a prayer. Then after the prayer, uh, we will have uh, the, the praise team 
will come for forth. And during the prayer, if the elders uh, and also uh, Harold Curtis, if you wouldn't mind coming to the tables during the prayer uh, to uh, begin helping us hand out the communion. Uh, what we'll do is Jake and I will, as we've done before, we will dismiss the rows uh, that are, uh, we'll just allow you to we'll point to your row and you guys can stand up and come to the center aisle here. And during this time, too, if you see someone to your left or to your right or you're standing in line with someone, embrace that person. Tell that person, hey, man, I follow Zanea you. You're an other. <laughs> you're weird. You don't have to say that. But I'm, I seek a relationship with you. I want to phileo you. I want to phileo you. Even though you might be different, you might think differently, I want to phileo you. And if you can't uh, walk up here, or if you choose not to participate, uh, don't worry. If you remain seated in your pew, there are people that will be walking around with uh, trays, and they will hand it to you directly. If you are a guest here, you're also more than welcome to participate or also remain seated. Uh, but this is an incredible opportunity to be a church like this, Skillman. Can we do it? Can we embrace this idea of hospitality in the sense that we are loving the other, loving those that are different, inviting conversation in? We don't want to surround ourselves with people that are just like us, who think just like us. The biblical thing to do is to stay when you disagree and learn more and lean in. That is who we are. The this is living in to Philozenea. Let's pray together and we'll begin our communion time. Father God, we are so grateful for this message where we are called to love the stranger, love the foreigner, and not be afraid of those that are different than us. We know, Father, that in this body, in Christianity, there, there is differences of opinion. Differences of point of view, differences of interpretation. We acknowledge, Father, that we are all seeking you. We are all striving to understand more how we can best align with you and what you are doing here and now. As we take the, bo the, the, bo the body and we partake of the blood of communion, may this be a symbol of our unity and our desire to love each other despite the many differences that we have. May we live into this and may we be as Christ was and be open and hospitable to all. We pray all this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.